Welcome to the Verity Podcast for Saturday, January 6th, 2024, where we separate the spin from the facts. I'm Scott Wallace. And I'm Eric Steiner with a look at today's top stories. The U.S. economy caps off the year with the addition of 216,000 jobs in December. House Republicans move to hold Hunter Biden in contempt of Congress. North Korea fires over 200 shells toward the South's border islands. The U.S. claims Russia has used North Korean missiles in Ukraine. India renders aid to a hijacked Liberian merchant ship. A new poll shows Americans are divided on whether the 2024 elections will be fair. Long COVID is found to cause exercise intolerance. A study finds a widespread presence of plastic chemicals in food. San Francisco's Golden Gate Bridge installs suicide prevention nets. And global grocery chain Carrefour pulls PepsiCo products in Europe. Topping the news, the U.S. economy has added 216,000 jobs in December. Here are the facts as agreed upon by the United States Bureau of Labor Statistics, New York Times, and Forbes. According to the U.S. Department of Labor's Bureau of Labor Statistics' latest data, the American economy added 216,000 conform payroll jobs in December 2023, with the country's unemployment rate remaining at 3.7%. The Bureau continued that while employment, quote, continued to trend up in government, 52,000 added jobs, healthcare at 38,000, social assistance, 21,000, and construction, 17,000. The U.S. economy saw employment decreases in transportation and warehousing, a decrease of 23,000. Unemployment for adult men sat at 3.5%, adult women at 3.3%, and teenagers at 11.9%. White, Black, Asian, and Hispanic unemployment were also found to be at 3.5%, 5.2%, 3.1%, and 5.0% respectively. U.S. President Biden praised the statistics, which were better than anticipated, saying, quote, strong job creation continued even as inflation fell, while also noting consumer concerns over high prices. Even though unemployment remained the same, participation within the labor market dropped by 0.3 percent to 62.5 percent, the lowest since February 2023, as the employment population ratio also decreased by 0.3 percent to 60.1 percent. This is the lowest level since a year prior. This comes as U.S. Treasury Secretary Janet Yellen said on Friday that the U.S. economy had achieved a, quote, soft landing following the turbulence of the COVID pandemic and high interest rates. However, some economists at major banks are still warning of a potential U.S. recession in the next year and a half. On this program, we separate the spin from the facts. Eric laid out the facts for us. And now for our first spin, the pro-establishment narrative from Financial Times. The U.S. strong labor data is the cherry on top of a strong week for the American economy. While downward revisions for October and November must be acknowledged and conceded, expectations and forecasts have been exceeded across the board. The labor market remains defiant to pessimism and will likely be a frequently used signpost of U.S. economic strength as the 2024 election year ramps up. The establishment critical narrative comes from The Messenger. While the federal government is adamant that the U.S. labor market is in good shape, The reality remains that there is a three million gap between open jobs and available workers to fill them. America is silently experiencing economic turmoil by increasing labor challenges within a tight market. With net international migration at its lowest in decades, there's no current solution to a growing labor shortage, a problem facing a post-industrial service sector American economy that gets far too little attention. And from time to time, we have nerd narratives from the Metaculous Prediction community 
This time they say there's a 40% chance that the U.S. employment rate will reach 10% before the year 2031. Do you think we're still feeling some pains from COVID or do you think we're out of the woods in terms of how it's affected the economy? I think that the things that we have felt in COVID are now are now baked in. You know, I think there was there's there's different. I, I really think the biggest thing that's going to end up coming from it economically will be when all these leases uh, go up on the go, these leases expire on the commercial oh, for real estate. Yeah. Yeah. I was reading an article that um, half of the leases on commercial real estate are still from pre-COVID. All the office buildings in every city just suddenly go empty. Then you got yourself a problem because if well, you own a hot dog stand on the corner and no one's coming to work, you got you got trouble. Yeah, granted, I ate plenty of hot dogs, so I was keeping them. It doesn't matter, Scott. In my eyes, you are the top dog. All right, buddy. Let's just go with that. Thank you. The House GOP moves to hold Hunter Biden in contempt of Congress. Here are the facts. As agreed upon by Forbes, CBS, NBC, The Post Millennial, ABC News and Fox News. The Republican-led House Judiciary and Oversight Committees are planning to hold a markup session where they are expected to prepare a resolution to hold Hunter Biden in contempt of Congress for refusing to comply with congressional subpoenas. The committee subpoenaed Hunter Biden, son of the U.S. President Joe Biden, for a closed-door deposition on December 13th as part of an impeachment inquiry into his father's foreign business dealings. But Hunter said he would only testify publicly. The House refused his request, and Hunter instead delivered a pre-written statement outside the U.S. Capitol building. The Oversight Committee will hold a markup meeting next Wednesday to prepare the contempt resolution, with the entire House then set to vote on the resolution at a later time. Oversight Chairman James Comer, Republican of Kentucky, and Judiciary Chairman Jim Jordan, Republican of Ohio, said in a press release that their investigation has produced significant evidence suggesting President Biden knew of, participated in, and benefited from his family cashing in on the Biden name. They added that Hunter defied two subpoenas requesting his testimony on the evidence. However, Hunter's lawyer, Abby Lowell, accused the Republican lawmakers of playing politics, insisting that the younger Biden has offered to answer all their proper questions. Wednesday's markup meeting comes as the GOP ramps up its impeachment inquiry. The House GOP will hold a closed-door transcribed interview with George Burgess, a New York City art gallery owner who sold Hunter Biden's art next week. Republicans accused Burgess of selling Biden's art to supporters seeking to ingratiate themselves with the administration. Thanks, Scott, for the facts. American greatness has our first spin. It's a Republican narrative. Hunter Biden believes that he can continue to use his family name to avoid personal responsibility, but House Republicans are holding him accountable for defying two legitimate congressional subpoenas. There's ample evidence that Hunter and his father made a fortune selling political influence, and the Bidens must be willing to answer to the American people. Huffington Post brings us the Democratic narrative. Republicans have spent years peddling baseless conspiracy theories about President Joe Biden and his son, yet they have no evidence to show the public. Instead, they are resorting to political games with a sham impeachment inquiry and issuing bad faith subpoenas. If the GOP actually cared about discovering the Bidens' so-called corruption, they would not have rejected Hunter Biden's offer to testify publicly. Finally, we have a nerd narrative for this story coming from Metaculous Prediction Community. They say there's a 25% chance that Joe Biden will be impeached by the U.S. House of Representatives. 
the art world, the the high priced fine art world, I feel like is so phony baloney anyway. To 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 accuse them of it being, I don't, I don't think it's any more phony baloney because of Hunter Biden. It's all right. It, at best, if you want to be non cynical, it's subjective and it's worth whatever someone will pay for it. Right. At worst, people are you know laundering yeah. money internationally. Absolutely. That being said, I have, do have a few pieces I want you to take a look at, Eric. <laughs> <laughs> The United States says Russia used North Korean missiles in Ukraine. Here are the facts, as agreed upon by the official website of the White House, CBS, and Associated Press. The White House, citing newly declassified intelligence, assessed that Russia used North Korean ballistic missiles as well as missile launchers in recent attacks on Ukraine. John Kirby, the administration's National Security Council spokesman, told reporters at a briefing Thursday that the U.S. concluded that the North Korean weapons were used on at least two occasions. He said at least one missile was used in Russian attacks on December 30th, suggesting, quote, this missile appears to have landed in an open field in the Zaporizhia region. Kirby added that multiple North Korean missiles were used in Russia's attack on January 2nd, saying we're still assessing the impacts of these additional missiles. The comments come after U.S. officials, including Kirby, warned in September that Russia was, quote, actively advancing arms negotiations with North Korea. At the time, Russian President Vladimir Putin was due to meet counterpart Kim Jong-un a few days later. Shortly following the meeting, South Korea's main spy agency, the National Intelligence Service, briefed the country's lawmakers, asserting that more than one million North Korean artillery shells had been sent to Russia. The shipment started in August and took place through transport planes and ships. In Thursday's briefing, Kirby also told reporters that the U.S. had assessed Russia was seeking to obtain missiles from Iran, saying, At this time, we do not believe that Iran has delivered close-range ballistic missiles to Russia. However, the U.S. is concerned that Russian negotiations to acquire close-range ballistic missiles from Iran are actively advancing. Thanks, Eric. The pro-establishment narrative comes from the White House. Due to the U.S. sanctions and export controls and because of Russia's isolation on the world stage, the Kremlin is increasingly having to rely on like-minded, despotic regimes to continue waging its illegal war in Ukraine. These developments are just the latest in the trend. TASS brings us a pro-Russian narrative. While the U.S. continues to pump Ukraine with weapons and continues the bloodshed, it wants to criticize Russia for having long-standing partnerships with its neighbors, including North Korea. These relationships are in full compliance with international law. And a nerd narrative from Attaculus, there's a 14% chance there will be a full-scale war between North Korea and South Korea by the year 2050. How old is Dennis Rodman going to be in 2050? Oh, yeah. Think, he's our he's top diplomat. Be, yeah, right. He's the modern-day Ben need to keep that. He's our keep, guy. Let's yeah. keep him healthy. India's Navy deploys assets to track a hijacked Liberian vessel. Here are the facts, as agreed upon by the Indian Express Associated Press, the Hindu, and Barons. The Indian Navy has deployed a maritime patrol aircraft and a destroyer, the INS Chennai, in response to a hijacking attempt on Liberia-flagged bulk carrier MV Leela Norfolk in the Arabian Sea on Thursday. On Thursday evening, MV Leela Norfolk reported to the UK Maritime Trade Operations Portal that five to six armed persons had boarded it. The aircraft established contact with the crew early Friday, confirming they were safe. The MV Leela Norfolk's crew consists of several Indian nationals. It is currently inside the Citadel, the strong room inside a ship which also has communication. 
The INS Chennai was closing in on the vessel's location to offer assistance, the Indian Navy said. It added that, in partnership with global powers and friendly nations, the Navy will ensure the safety of merchant ships passing through the region. India has increased surveillance in the region substantially following a spat of recent attacks at sea. New Delhi's destroyers and frigates often render assistance to merchant vessels, while its patrol aircraft and unmanned aerial vehicles also monitor maritime regions. India is also monitoring the recent attacks on commercial vessels in the Red Sea by Yemen's Houthi militants, and its fleets are mission-deployed to act in the North and Central Arabian Sea. Scott, thanks for laying out the facts. Our first spin is Narrative A, coming from Indian Defense Review. India's robust naval power is once again on display in the Indian Ocean region. Its substantial presence has played a key role in keeping the lanes and one of the world's most important maritime trade routes open and largely safe. India must develop its naval capability further to augment its significant geostrategic location on the world map. And Narrative B comes from the Observer Research Foundation. The Indian Navy's biggest challenge is its slow expansion. It has to account for conventional threats like a rising China, as well as asymmetric ones like pirates and the Houthi rebels. India's naval forces may not have the resilience to handle the combination of hazards. New Delhi's desired rise as a maritime power can't happen unless rapid and massive investment and adjustments are made. The nerds from Metaculus say there's a 4% chance that the U.S. will offer India a nuclear submarine before 2026. According to a recent poll, there are major partisan divides on U.S. election fairness. Here are the facts as agreed upon by Fox News, USA Today, and The Hill. A new Suffolk University USA Today poll released on Thursday found that 46% of registered Republicans have no confidence that 2024 U.S. election ballots will be accurately counted a figure that rises to 52% among Trump supporters. Only 14% of Republicans are, quote, very confident that the election will be fair. Conversely, roughly four in five Biden voters expressed high confidence about the returns, while just 3% are, quote, not confident. Regarding the 2020 elections, two-thirds of those in support of Trump claimed that Biden hadn't been legitimately elected while 82% of third-party supporters and 98% of Biden voters consider him the legitimate president. The poll, which surveyed 1,000 registered voters across the country between December 26th and 29th, also showed that around 83% of overall Americans share concerns over the future of democracy in the U.S. Respondents were split at 40% each when asked which party was to blame for threatening democracy. The greatest specific threats worrying those polled include the GOP frontrunner and former President Donald Trump at 18%. Meanwhile, one in 10 registered voters named governmental corruption and dysfunction, and 8% cited immigration and border issues. Ahead of the third anniversary of January 6th, the new poll found that attitude toward those who participated in the Capitol riots has softened, while the percentage calling them criminals plunging from 70% to 48%. However, those who said that Trump bears significant blame for the riot have fallen only 5%, from 48% to 43%. In the survey, Trump holds a tight one-point lead over Biden, 44% to 43%, in a hypothetical head-to-head matchup, and a two-point lead, 39% to 37%, when asked about a third-party option. All right. Thanks, Eric. We have some diametrically opposed political narratives on this one, as you might expect. Let's start with a Democratic spin from The Washington Post. Despite Trump's complaints about 2020 and his subsequent indictments, the former president has, even within Democrat-appointed courts, been treated fairly. 
in his classified documents case in Florida under the oversight of one of his own appointees. Trump has even benefited from a seemingly purposeful slow walking of the legal process to ensure his trial doesn't finish before the election. All in all, the only reason Trump supporters may feel distressed about 2024 is due solely to his accelerating, polarizing, and authoritarian rhetoric. The Republican narrative comes from Town Hall. Whatever happened in 2020 is over. So now Republicans, as Democrats successfully did in 2020, need to build an impenetrable get-out-the-vote campaign long before the November election. The GOP has already built a website to show voters when, where, and how to apply for and submit absentee ballots. Thanks to the Democrats, America no longer has an election day, but rather a long and toxic election season. Like it or not, the key to winning the White House and Congress is now playing by the left's unfair new rules and showing the true popularity of populist conservative policies. And a nerd narrative from Metaculus, there's a 50% chance that the next U.S. presidential election will also be considered fraudulent by the losing party. And an interesting study, long COVID makes exercise debilitating. Here are the facts as agreed upon by the journal Nature, The Guardian, and The Independent. A new study published on Thursday in the journal Nature Communications found that people with long COVID who exercise can experience changes to the body, including severe muscle damage, mitochondrial problems, and microclots. This, researchers believe, is the reason these patients feel fatigued and in pain for long periods after working out. According to the study, specific bodily effects from long COVID include exercise intolerance, metabolic issues, exercise-induced muscle defects, and the development of amyloid-containing deposits in skeletal muscles. Researchers analyzed the blood and skeletal muscle biopsies of 25 long COVID patients and 21 healthy individuals before and after a maximal exercise test. In their biopsies before the exercise test, which consisted of 10 to 15 minutes on a bicycle, patients with long COVID had a greater proportion of white fibers than their healthy counterparts. These fibers contain less mitochondria, the powerhouses of cells, and did not work as well. Lower exercise capacity in patients was not linked to the ventilatory and central cardiovascular system, but rather impairment to their skeletal muscle metabolism, and thus a lower capacity to carry energy to skeletal muscles. The long COVID patients also had more tissue damage than the control group, prompting their bodies to try and repair themselves. Rob Woost, one of the authors of the study conducted at Free University Amsterdam, said this explains the muscle pain that these patients are experiencing after exercise. Those were the facts, and the first spin is a pro-establishment narrative coming from time. For years now, the world has known about both the dangers of long COVID and the potential benefits of the vaccine for combating it. More recently, the British Medical Association published a study showing one pre-infection dose of an original vaccine can induce the risk of long COVID by 21%, two doses by 59%, and three or more doses by 73%. If you want to protect yourself against this debilitating disease, getting vaccinated is the solution. And the establishment critical narrative from Dr. Peter McCullough. When dealing with complex phenomena like this, no professional should make absolute claims. Everyone, especially doctors, should acknowledge that other studies have found vaccinations to be one of the primary predictors of long COVID. If blanket prescriptions for all of society are made without analyzing opposing data, there should be no surprise when there's public backlash to vaccine injuries. The nerds say there's a 50% chance that COVID will be eradicated by June of the year 2092. That comes from Metaculus. In a recent report, plastic chemicals have been found widespread in food. 
Here are the facts as agreed upon by Consumer Reports, Reuters, New York Post, Healthline, and CBS. According to a study by the nonprofit advocacy group Consumer Reports, certain plastic chemicals that have been associated with a myriad of health conditions have become, quote, widespread in popular food items. The group tested 85 products sold at supermarkets and by fast food chains and found that 84 contained, quote, plasticizers or phthalates, a group of chemicals used to make plastic more durable. Though none of the phthalate levels exceeded limits set by U.S. regulators, the group is calling on the government to ban phthalates as they have been linked to ailments including cancer and infertility, among other diseases. Consumer reports also found traces of bisphenol A, or BPA, an industrial chemical used to make certain plastics, in 79% of food samples. However, their levels were lower than concentrations found in 2009. BPA, widely used for food packaging, including water bottles and bowls, can leach out of plastic containers into the food and negatively impact hormone receptors such as estrogen, potentially boosting the risk of congenital disabilities. The tested foods included ready-to-eat meals, fruits and vegetables, dairy products, and seafood in different types of packaging such as cans and foils. Oh boy, we have some narrative spins on this story. Eric, narrative A comes from your active. Given our cumulative exposure to plastic pollution, it's essential that the Food and Drug Administration and similar agencies worldwide reassess the risks of plasticizers and bisphenols. As plastic waste proliferates farmland and infiltrates the food we eat, a ban on potentially dangerous plastic chemicals in food packaging and processing would help mitigate the effects of exposure to plastic chemicals on humans. AgriPulse has Narrative B. With plastic ubiquitous in food packaging and processing, it's difficult to avoid the chemicals altogether. Plastic packaging is critical in ensuring food safety and product quality and reducing food loss and waste. As there is no alternative to plastics, the best regulators could do is ask food manufacturers to follow existing regulatory requirements and require rigorous testing for chemicals and packaging. The Golden Gate Bridge installs suicide prevention nets. Here are the facts. As agreed upon by ABC7 San Francisco, USA Today, the Associated Press, and Fox News. San Francisco on Wednesday announced that it had finished installing stainless steel nets along both sides of the Golden Gate Bridge as it looks to prevent people from committing suicide. The nets stretch 1.7 miles along both sides of the iconic bridge, which has seen nearly 2,000 people jump to their deaths since it was built in 1937. On average, 30 people per year have committed suicide by jumping from the bridge over the last 20 years, but that number was down to 14 in 2023. The net received approval in 2014 with a budget of $76 million, but construction didn't start until 2018, and the total cost reportedly ended up being $224 million. The project's lead contractors, Shimmick Construction Group and Danny's Construction Company, filed a lawsuit against the district in 2022, claiming that the cost would reach $400 million and that changes and flaws in the government's design, along with poor maintenance, saw the companies lose $100 million. The district countersued last year with legal proceedings due to commence in June. With suicide deterrent systems covering 95% of the bridge, the nets are located 20 feet below the bridge's sidewalk and extend 20 feet out from the structure. Scott, thank you for the facts. Narrative A comes from CBS. San Francisco has done the right thing. While critics may complain about the cost of the project, there's no price tag on human life. The Golden Gate Bridge has tragically seen nearly 2,000 people take their lives 
and this project was necessary to give people a chance to reconsider suicide and choose to continue living. Narrative B comes from the SFist. In typical California fashion, a public project comes years too late, millions of dollars over budget, and not even fully complete. While the project is well-intentioned, it's merely a band-aid that many psychiatrists doubt will even stop suicides. Of course, a physical net will prevent people from jumping off the Golden Gate Bridge, but it doesn't do anything to meaningfully help individuals and stop them from committing suicide elsewhere. There was a documentary that I saw, actually the like one, the premiere of, and the filmmakers were there and everything. When it was in, it premiered in San Francisco, it was called The Bridge, and it must have came out in 2005, 2006, 2007 time. That's when I lived there. And apparently, and it was all about suicides on the bridge, and they actually captured on film some people committing suicide. It was a pretty fascinating documentary. They said that there, there's a weird quirk with the Golden Gate Bridge. You know, if you jump off the top of the Empire State Building, you're not going to make it. That's all there is to it. But something about the Golden Gate Bridge, it's high enough. Obviously, it's over water. There's a good chance that you would die, but there's a percentage of people that don't and get just badly injured because it's not high enough. The impact is not fatal all the time. It's not necessarily fatal, but then also it gives them the opportunity to interview these people who have tried to commit suicide and then didn't. There was a great number of those people, almost to a person, as they were falling, they wished they hadn't jumped. So I would imagine that almost everyone who tries to do such a thing regrets it before they even hit the ground. Before you ever arrived in San Francisco, before you ever even thought about going there, did you feel like you were dying to see the Golden Gate Bridge? (laughs) Come on. Grocery chain Carrefour stops selling PepsiCo products. Here are the facts as agreed upon by The Guardian, Washington Post, CNN, Business Insider, and Bloomberg. Carrefour, a major global grocery chain, announced to consumers on Thursday that it was pulling multiple PepsiCo products from its stores in France, Italy, Belgium, and Spain. Supermarket franchise said this was due to PepsiCo's unacceptable price increases. In light of the rising cost of food in Europe, Carrefour has declared it is committed to lowering prices. Following months of unsuccessful talks, the retailer will start taking PepsiCo brands such as Lipton Tea, Doritos, Lay's Potato Chips, and soft drinks off its shelves. Items will not be restocked once they are sold out. By delisting PepsiCo, Carrefour is stepping up its efforts to pressure some of the world's largest consumer goods producers to lower their prices. Costs rose during the previous two years, reportedly because of labor, energy, and other factors. Pricing battles are nothing new for Carrefour, as one of Europe's most assertive retailers. The French multinational company started an anti-shrinkflation campaign last year, warning consumers with shelf labels that manufacturers had reduced the size of products, but were still selling for the same price. In October of last year, PepsiCo indicated that pricing increases will essentially follow inflation. Regarding the issues with Carrefour, A PepsiCo spokesperson said the company will continue to engage in good faith to try to ensure that our products are available. Carrefour's decision to delist PepsiCo brands comes as the French multinational plans to expand its private label from 33% in 2022 to 40% of food sales in 2026, according to a strategic document published last year. Shifting from famous brand names to the store's private labels is another strategy for the retailer to potentially lower prices. Scott, thanks for presenting the facts. The spins start with Narrative A coming from Bloomberg News. Europe's consumers are going through one of the worst cost-of-living crises in decades. Many governments, particularly the French, have made it a priority to try to lower food prices, 
and have called for an early end to the yearly negotiations between retailers and suppliers. As a result, Carrefour's decision to delist PepsiCo brands from its store because of its unacceptable price increases sends a strong signal to other manufacturers not to pass on unnecessary price hikes to consumers. And narrative B comes from Lamond. Carrefour's decision to discontinue carrying PepsiCo goods is a daring one. French retailers are still negotiating with the food industry, so the action may just be an aggressive tactic to get PepsiCo to give in to its demands. However, there's also a chance the strategy won't work if customers switch to a competing store because Carrefour doesn't stock their preferred PepsiCo brand. Bataculus is going to throw their hat in the ring as well with a nerd narrative saying there's a 50% chance that the first fully automated McDonald's will open in the United States by January 3rd, 2030. Thanks for listening to the Verity Podcast for Saturday, January 6th, 2024. Each day we use machine learning to read about 5,000 articles from about 100 newspapers to figure out which ones are about the same stories. For each major story, our editorial team then extracts both the key facts that all articles agree on and the key narratives where the articles differ. Find out more at Verity.news. You can also download the Verity app on the Apple App Store or Google Play. For Scott Wallace, I'm Eric Steiner inviting you to join us next time on the Verity Podcast.